Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. If I haven't had a chance to meet you quite yet, my name is Ryan. Um, and uh, the, the guys at King's Cross had asked if I would come up here and, and teach again, which I was uh, very blessed to be able to do. And so this was this is just a passage that I felt like the Lord was just bringing to mind consistently. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us really quick, and then we're just going to walk through this passage together, okay? Um, Lord, just want to say thank you for, for everyone that's here today. Um, it's, it's a really unique way that you bring people together. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would be the one that's at work first and foremost, that you would open hearts, open minds, and uh, ultimately just minister to us today. So, Lord, uh, we trust you with everything that's going to be happening soon. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're, we're really just kind of parachuting into this passage at the very end of Galatians here. There's only six chapters in Galatians, and so because uh, context is a really important part of Scripture, I'm just going to catch us up really quick here for what Paul has been doing. And so Paul writes this church uh, in Galatia, and he writes this letter because there had been a tremendous amount of false teaching that was taking place. And historically, the only people who could be considered part of God's family were ethnic Israelites. And so in the early spread of Christianity, there were actually this group of Jewish Christians who believed that in order for non-Jewish people, or Gentiles as they were called, in order for them to truly become part of God's family and to follow Jesus, that they needed to abide by all of the laws in the Old Testament Torah. And so this was this code that the Jews lived by. And so this included things like eating kosher, observing of the Sabbath, and in perfect tune with Oscar's squeamish style examples lately, circumcision. And so uh, they required that all the Torah would be upheld because otherwise people wouldn't be able to be part of God's family and they wouldn't be able to know what God's will and design was for them. And so some of this teaching started to spread as these Christians came into Galatia. And so Paul writes this letter in the first two chapters. He's really outlining what the gospel is in Christ and clearly showing that it is of no legalistic action that actually people become part of God's family, but it's only because of Jesus's work that he has imputed to us or attributed or given to us through his life, death, and resurrection. And so in chapters 3 and 4, Paul then goes through how God has established a new multi-ethnic family and how God gave the Old Testament law as a temporary law. It was never intended to be an existing thing forever. 
And so God knew that the sinfulness of man would really never allow them to live a perfect life. So he gave the law as a way to illuminate where sin is and then also how to live by this code that was in accordance with God's design and will. And so he spends these chapters, Paul does, about how God had always really wanted to fundamentally dismantle this idea of a Jesus plus mentality. And so it's this idea that Jesus plus anything else equals salvation. When there's a thought that Jesus might have died on the cross for my sins, but I got to pull up my own bootstraps and really get to work to make sure that I stay there. That's a steep misinterpretation of what it was that was actually accomplished on the cross. And if anything, it actually attempts to take away power from Christ's death. And so Paul is dismantling all of that because it's actually in spite of our obedience that we're saved. Tim Keller wrote this small book on Galatians, and he outlines this really beautifully He says, Paul is outlining that the Galatians' spiritual problem is not only caused by failing to live in obedience to God, but also by relying on obedience to him. What Paul does here is he's solving their issues, not through telling them to just be better Christians, but by calling them to live out the implications of the gospel. And so Paul, he's he's fundamentally establishing the identity of believers to be in Christ and in Christ alone. And that is how we're supposed to orient our lives. And so the last two chapters of Galatians, Paul is talking about what it looks like to be transformed by the Spirit. What does a community look like that actually lives out the gospel? And one of the things that he does brilliantly is he even addresses one of the primary concerns of these false teachers, and their question would have been, well, how are these non-Israelites, how are these Gentiles going to understand what God's will is without the law? Because that's the only way that they've been able to understand it historically. And Paul's answer, it's simple. It's through the giving of the Holy Spirit. God gives his spirit, which is how people can now know what God's will and design is for their life. And so Paul talks about what it looks like to live in the spirit and in freedom that's experienced in Christ. And he paints this very clear picture between what a life looks like that's enslaved by sin and what a life looked like by what freedom looks like in Christ and freedom that's marked by the Spirit. And so this is, this is where we find ourselves in our passage for today. And so read with me real quick, verse 6-1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Uh, this, is, this is one of those places where I'm actually really grateful for the translation of the Bible that we use, which is the CSB translation. Because in other translations, this passage reads as, if anyone is caught in any transgression, which is, which is sin. 
And so easily that kind of translation can have people believe that they need to put on this like sin detective hat where they just go, aha, gotcha, like whenever they find someone who's caught in sin. And so I really appreciate that this translation gets the right kind of idea across. Because what he's talking about is he's talking about someone who is who's overtaken, someone who's ensnared in, entangled in, someone who's in trouble. This is not the idea of busting someone. It's the idea of seeing a brother or sister who is drowning. And so, you know, if someone's having a bad day and they just handle something poorly, like, I don't, I don't have to pounce on that. You know, that's something you can trust the Lord to. That's, that's okay. But if someone's being overtaken where, where sinful habits are evident and where you start to see maybe some eternal perspectives become corruptive, where bad days and poor handlings just become pervasive and where someone's heart seems really dark and misdirected, that's where we engage. And what's, what's our response? You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. I want to make something really clear here. When, when Paul says, you who are spiritual, he's not talking about the Christian varsity team. Like he's not talking about the ultra-mature guys that have been around forever because actually just a couple of chapters previously in Galatians, Paul actually calls out Peter. Yeah, like that Peter, the one that like walked with Jesus, he calls him out because Peter actually started to fall into some of these tendencies and behaviors that these false teachers were teaching. And so Paul is not talking about those kinds of, you know, A-team mature ones. Paul is talking about people who are living in the spirit versus living in the flesh. People who are walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, who are clearly cultivating and seeing the fruit of the spirit in their lives. And so those of you who are in the spirit, your job is to engage the brother or sister who is, in caught, who is caught in, ensnared in, entangled in, overtaken in sin. To do what? To restore them. The ultimate goal is to restore them. Not to be a sin detective with our sin radars and antennas up but to engage them as family, to engage them as friends and as co-heirs. And, and these kinds of conversations, they can, be, they can be really uncomfortable. They're really awkward. But Paul actually outlines how we can do this well. He says, restore them with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. And, and this is tough because gentle is such a relative term, right? Like you could feel like you're bringing something to someone with the amount of gentleness of a feather and they react as if you just brought a sledgehammer to them. And vice versa, like you could be really gearing up and just like, oh, I'm going to call this guy out and just like get the whole like right hook mentality going and they take it as if it was a tickle. And so I think there's a couple of things here that Paul is really getting at so we understand what does it look like to do things gently? What does this kind of restoration work in a gentle manner look like? 
And so the first thing that I want you to take a look at, notice that Paul addresses this to brothers and sisters. And I think one of the things that he's really getting at here is how valuable it is to be in relationship with the brother or sister you might be engaging Because when you're in relationship with someone, uh, not only do you know how to be able to communicate with with them a little bit more, but you're probably a little bit more aware of what their struggles might be. You probably know a little bit more of their story. And so you can engage them with that kind of context, but also you know them well enough uh, to communicate with them in a way that doesn't allow them to continue down this path or direction that they're running down. And so there's value in being in relationship with the people that you're going to be engaging here. And the second thing is actually seen in the latter half of this verse. What it looks like Paul is saying when he says, with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, is making sure that you are watching your own soul for your own motivations for approaching this brother or sister. Because if if we go in with any other motive other than compassion, gentleness is just not going to take place. Because most likely, if you're not in that kind of mindset, like if you feel that you're well beyond that kind of sin, if it's just like this kind of thing is never going to happen to me, you're you're taking this position of superiority, it's going to be impossible for you to come gently because you're probably going to want to show how mature you are and all your biblical insight and show your godliness and how holy you are. And you'll probably take way too much delight in being the helper rather than standing in the ditch with them. But... If you can search your own heart and not give in to that temptation to feel greater than, like if the Holy Spirit would do his work in reminding you that all of your successes are solely owed to the grace of God and not your own might, then you can genuinely, truly, gently reach out your hand to a brother and sister and say, hey, I'm in this with you, but let's get out of here. But what happens if you're on the receiving end of one of these conversations? There's a couple things that I want to want to point out, some safeguards, because uh, I think there's some things that people are just kind of prone to do. So, so if anyone comes to you and says, "Hey, uh, like I've noticed this, I, I just want to lay it out before you. Uh, you know, maybe it's something you're not seeing. I, I just want to ask some questions. I'm going to give you a couple of things not to do to just be aware of. Okay." The first, um, don't go try to find people who disagree with what they're saying. And let me, let me flesh this out. Um, if you don't know whether or not what that accusation is, if it's true or not, what you need to do is you need to go find some men and women in your life who love you, and I need you guys to hear this, and who aren't cowards. Because you know what most people are? The cowards. Like, if you were to sit down with most of the people that you know and walk with, would they give you an honest answer to a question like, well, Johnny says that I'm a little too hostile and harsh towards my kids. Like, I just don't see it. Do you see me being hostile towards my kids? No. Like, I 
I bet Johnny's just jealous about the way that your, your kids respect you. Like, right? And, and so now what you're doing is you're building this coalition that agrees with you instead of taking that accusation seriously. Don't build a coalition. It's not good for the soul. And if I could encourage you guys in any way relationally, it would be to limit the amount of cowards that you have around you. To surround yourself with people who are willing to go, hey, that's not right. Like what you did there, that's not right. And for the people who might have some more uh, people-pleasing tendencies, and guys, I'm preaching to myself in this. If you struggle with this kind of honesty sometimes, know that sacrificing speaking truth with gentle honesty for the sake of protecting someone else's feelings or their fragile ego has zero eternal value. And if anything, it actually gives people permission to continue walking down this deluded and delusional life without ever having someone lovingly say to them, hey, you've done something wrong here, or hey, you need to grow. And so friends who might struggle with this kind of thing, just know that your value is not in how good you make other people feel around you, but your value is found in being in a son or daughter of Christ. And so again, if you're, if you're on the receiving end of one of these conversations, one of the things I want to point out, it's not a personal attack either. Like, think about it. Like, this, this person who's engaging you is after your own good. And that should come off so clearly because they should have been praying through this and engaging the Lord, searching their own soul, and, and coming to you with a ton of compassion. And the first thing that I really want to make sure is that there's no coalition building here, but all in all, that you're really making sure that you're seriously considering the accusation before the Lord before the word of God, and then before those who are of good courage around you. Here's the second thing not to do. Don't look for faults in their life that somehow removes the truth of their accusation in your mind. There's no perfect people. Like If you look hard enough, you'll be able to see anybody's junk. Nobody is perfect. You'll always be able to see where they fall short. And so, you know, what unfortunately so many people, what their response is, even when they're lovingly engaged is, well, they think they're perfect. No. Like, unless they actually said that in their accusation, you have no basis to believe that. It's like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned about this area of your life. Oh, so you think you're perfect? No, I'm just saying that I saw this and I'm, I'm really concerned. Oh, so you don't have any issues? I got tons of them, but I'm talking about this right here. I've had some other people bring these things to me over here, but it doesn't take away of what I'm talking about here. I can receive this. If you want to talk about it, great, but it doesn't take away from this. And so don't, don't let other people's shortcomings somehow remove any weight behind the accusation. And even if, this is the fun part, even if they did not approach you with gentleness. So even if someone has approached you wrongly, I think you owe it to your own soul to consider whether that accusation is true. 
And so here's one of the cool things is that God creates this environment here in the church where our identity is found in him through the gospel in which I'm willing to engage you, you're willing to engage me, and we, as we see each other drowning with gentleness and humility and grace in a heart that, when is all said and done, is most interested in you walking fully in what Christ has died to bring you. That's a beautiful community of faith. And we unfortunately don't see it very often. And so I, I want to press into verse, verse 2 here. And yeah, that was all verse 1, by the way. Don't worry. I won't keep you guys here till midnight. We're going to move through it, right? Verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So actually, in, in the previous chapter in Galatians 5, Paul writes in verse 514, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of Christ is the law which is summed up as love your neighbor. So why would the law of neighborly love be called the love of Christ? And it's because Christ is the ultimate and unsurpassable example of this kind of love. We are to love others as Christ loved us. And though the entire Old Testament law could be summed up in the commandment to love, it is Christ's life and death that becomes the supreme embodiment of what this love should be. And so when we look at his life and his attitude and how he engaged people, we actually have, in a sense, a new sort of law, which is just this breathtaking model of what the kind of life we should look or live should look like. And actually, by placing verse 6-2 and verse 5-14 alongside one another, it actually shows us that to serve one another in love means to carry one another's burdens. Notice that Paul specifically addresses this, again, to brothers and sisters. He's talking to and he's talking about family. Because you cannot help with a burden unless you become very, very close to that burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes. And so as Christians... We must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, and spiritually take up the burden with the other person. We're simply not to just let people carry their burdens alone. And I actually love the ambiguity that Paul uses here. It's rare that I like ambiguity in the scriptures, but I love that he just drops in this word, burdens, like, what kind of burdens? Burdens. Burdens that burden. Like, it could, it could just be anything. That burden could be financial. That burden could be spiritual. That burden could be emotional. It could be, oh, you're a single mom. How can we encourage you? How can we help you with your kids? Oh, you're sick? Like, how can we help? You guys need some soup? I actually love making soup, guys, so if you need a soup recipe, just let me know. Oh, you, you don't know how you're going to be able to pay your bills? How can we help? How can we bless you? Oh, you're, you're struggling with sin. How can I encourage you? How can I keep up with you? Do I have your permission to engage you over this struggle of yours? 
And some burdens, they can be handled in a day or just a couple of different kinds of meetings, and some might require more time, more energy, more resources, and sometimes they just go on and on and on and on. But I want to tell you guys something. If the idea of carrying someone else's burden scares you, and if you're not really sure that you're willing to step in, know that you're not alone in carrying that burden. Like that's, that's part of what this community here is. Okay, But more than that, you have the Spirit with you. This is why Paul says, you who are spiritual, because restoration work is spirit work. And so you have the Spirit with you, and you also have Jesus, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not just going to be all on you. One of the other kind of cool things that Paul is doing here, he's actually taking another shot at the Jewish false teachers uh, who were trying to get the Galatians to come under the Old Testament law. Because Paul is actually telling the Galatians that rather than placing themselves under the burden of law fulfillment, that actually they should be lifting burdens off of others. And that ultimately is the way to fulfill the law. Because Christ did that for us, guys. Christ did that for us. We couldn't shoulder the burden of our own sinlessness. We couldn't shoulder the burden of our own sin. So Jesus took those burdens upon himself, and then he took those to the cross. And so the law of Christ means modeling our whole life on the example of Christ. It is a life that's centered on a person rather than a code. And so now we have a different kind of obligation upon us than we did before. Now we bear others' burdens because, because Christ bore ours. And Galatians 6.2 could actually be summed up as, in another way, bear others' burdens, and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Christ, who bore yours. What an... In- What an incredible picture of the church where where people are sharing one another's burdens. But if, if we're honest, this is not most people's experience in church. Most people feel in a crowd that they're, that they're kind of unknown. And sure, some of that might be on that person. But there's also another reason why this kind of community and environment that Paul is talking about is so rare. And Paul's actually going to tell us, which is great. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So why do we not find these types of environments? Why is the environment where burdens are shared, where where there's a courage that's willing to engage and and come alongside those who are struggling to have the awkward conversations, to uh, really meaningfully sit down for the awkward meeting and to extend love to people who are struggling? Why is it so rare? Because of pride. Pride is the thing that gets in the way of that. When you think you're something, you're nothing, and you're deceived. There's two ways that pride gets in the way and prevents these kinds of communities. One's a little bit more obvious. uh, The other one's a little bit more more subtle. 
And so for the one that's a bit more obvious, uh, it's helpful. In the, in the immediate context here of this passage, Paul is, once again, he's coming after these Jewish Christian law teachers because they were so engrossed in the importance of their mission of imposing the Old Testament law on non-Jewish believers that they had no time or interest to bear the burdens of these Gentile Christians who just came to Christ. Their pride in the law and their pride in themselves actually kept them from serving one another in love. And so in thinking themselves to be something, they were in fact nothing. And so he's directly rebuking and also issuing issuing a warning to people who think that they are too high and mighty and are unwilling to take the role of servants to carry the burdens of others because of their pride and self-deception. Here's the other way that that pride plays out here. I I think if we brought some people up here, uh, whether that was a family or some individuals, and we said, hey, um, these people need some help, like they're struggling. I know that dozens of you would get up here immediately and say, like, how can I help? How can I press in? How can I come alongside? What do you need? I love that I know that about this church. But on a day-to-day basis, I think the reason why we're not apt to see the burdens of others is because although we might hate this about this, uh, about ourselves, but there's a subtle form of pride that functions on default, which is that we believe that our burdens are the ones that should be the ones that are carried. And in that default belief, we can't even see the burdens of others. We have, we have no, but we have, we don't have the ability to see other people's struggle. And why? It's because of yours. Because it's impossible to spot anybody else in need because other people should be spotting your needs, right? And by default, that's pride. And so maybe this is a sign that your identity is not fully in Jesus Christ, but your identity might be in something else. Because those who have their identity in Christ, they have been set free to notice others, to have a genuine concern, a genuine care for others. And it's a default that seeks to encourage and edify and push forward and bear one another's burdens. Paul then goes into this really interesting verse here. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. So so this whole time, Paul is going, hey, look outside yourself, look outside yourself. And then he drops in this little thing, which is just like this hard left turn, which is, you know, look at what you're doing, and you can take pride in yourself. Here's what he actually means. The more that you look around you to compare yourself against others, the less you're able to accept the growth in your own development with the Lord, your own sanctification. And so so I'll, I'll put it in another way. If you find yourself in a group of just heavy hitters, 
Like people who have memorized tons and tons of scripture, like they're evangelizing in their communities and people are coming to know the Lord through their conversations and you find yourself in that kind of group and maybe you're a little bit more timid, maybe you don't know all the ins and outs of scripture and then you start to question and compare God's affection for you based off of what they're doing. Man, how crushing would that be? How much doubt is just going to flood into your soul when you look around and you forget about how much God's love for you is and how much he delights in you? And, and I mean, you could, you could flop that the other way too. Like maybe you just find yourself dropped into an absolute herd of morons, like just a flock of fools around you. How quickly will you elevate yourself in your own role in your own sanctification? Like, how quickly do you think you might slip into that place of self-righteousness when you look around and you just see that herd of morons that you're around all the time? But, but here's what God is saying, though. He's like, no, no, no. You measure yourself. Do you want to delight in God's progressive sanctification in your soul? You look at your own heart. You take a look at what you've done with the opportunities that God has given you. You look at the things that you have been given and that you've taken advantage of. Because being able to look back and acknowledge the opportunities that maybe you would have struggled with before, but now in that kind of same situation, you have a whole lot more boldness. Or being able to look back and see where the fruit of the Spirit might be a little bit more clear and it's cultivating your life and where before maybe you weren't as gentle or patient or kind and now you see those things coming out. Like those are all the ways where you get to look at the trajectory of your life and how the Lord is working in you and pulling you in a direction that's closer to Him. And so we need to get our eyes off of other people and get our eyes inside and look at what God has put before us and what he's asked of us. And this is the perfect context for our last verse. For each person will have to carry his own load. Again, another little bit of a confusing drop in there by Paul, uh, because didn't verse 2 just say that we were supposed to carry one another's burdens, and now he's just like, but you also have to carry your own load. These are two things. Burden and load are not the exact same idea in the Greek. They're a very separate thing. Burden is too heavy for one person. This is too heavy for me. Like, I need help with this. And load, it isn't like that. Like, I can carry my own load. And so this all goes back to the idea of opportunity and obedience to the opportunities that you've been given. Like each one of us have been given a completely unique circumstance. We have a unique relationship pool. We have unique jobs. We have unique resources. And each of these are unique opportunities for us to carry our own load. Really, this idea of bearing our own load is that of stewardship. Like, what has the Lord given you to steward? How are you bringing glory to Christ in your specific context? Like, think about your workplace. Like, what are some of the relationships that you've started to build there? Taking some inventory and maybe engage with someone who's not a believer and see just kind of where their soul is at? Parents? 
You guys get to steward your kids in their discipleship. The role of the church is not to disciple your kids. However, the role of the church is to come alongside and to equip and encourage you in your discipling of them. And what a beautiful thing that is where each one of you parents get to disciple your kids. Maybe in your neighborhood, think about your neighborhood. Like Maybe you live in, a car, in, a, in an apartment complex where people are constantly flitting in and out, or you live in a neighborhood where, where all the conversations revolve around, like, man, weather's weird this week, or like, hey, man, your lawn's looking great, or like, oh my gosh, did you guys hear what Becky did on Red Hill? And, you know, it's just like, how do you engage your communities in a way that are going to reflect more the love of Christ and bring more of his glory into those places? We each have our own specific, unique set of opportunities, our own resources, our own setting to steward well. And if there is a temptation to think, well, I just wish that I had so-and-so's opportunities because those would be so much easier. No, no, that's actually minimizing the opportunities that God has put in front of you. God has uniquely put you in your context, in your setting to steward the opportunities that he's given you. Because ultimately, when you stand in front of God Almighty, you're not going to give an account for what other people did. You're going to give an account for what you've done with yours. See, we're, we're called to be obedient to the opportunities that we've been given. And there are amazing ways to be able to help expand the glory of God so you can see him more brightly and to see God sanctify us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. I hear you. Paul, part of the opportunities that we have been given are the relationships that we have around us. And so part of that opportunity looks like recognizing when a brother or sister might be overtaken in sin and gently and lovingly restoring them because that's exactly what Christ did for us. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.